My text this evening uh, is taken from the reading, uh, Luke chapter 24, and the 15th verse. Luke 24, verse 15. So it was, you knew it was going to be this, didn't you? While they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. It's a a wonderful verse, isn't it? It's one of my favourite passages. I know I've said that every time I preach here, but uh, this is one of the best. We talk a lot today, don't we? Like this Emmaus pair. We talk a lot. I think this, I think that, Oh, I hoped for this and I hope for that. And many, oh, so many, maybe some of you here tonight, are miserable, miserable. Not long ago, we looked together at a road, didn't we? Saul of Tarsus's road, the Damascus road, where another conversation took place. And from that conversation, we had a conversion, didn't we? And Christ was revealed, wasn't he, to the killer of Christians. That know-it-all, Saul knew, suddenly saw that he had no clue at all. No clue at all. And it was an extraordinary conversation and a really remarkable conversion. But I want to draw your attention to another road tonight. This road the Emmaus Road, another conversation. I don't know what the weather was like, but I know that it was about this hour, Sunday night. It may have been very dusty on that track, and you imagine the olive trees maybe, as the sun is slowly dropping and the cicadas are clicking in the background, And we're introduced in the half-light to these walking pair. Two people. Look at verse 13. Luke tells us that they're walking seven miles or 11 kilometers for you um, millennials here. From Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. Emmaus. And imagine setting off from here then. What's 11 kilometers? Well, Take the right, go up to Gabalva, go through Caffilly Road, go up that hill, Thornhill, <laughs> and then you keep going, and you've got the cafe on the top. You know where I am? <laughs> go down the hill, and then go to that lovely town called Caffilly, and in the middle of the Caffilly, you've got that castle. That's about 11 kilometres. It's a long way. Who are they? Who are they? Well, verse 18 tells us that one of them is called Cleopas. Uh, And they're traditionally believed, aren't they, to be two men. And Caravaggio's paintings usually have the two men, don't they, looking very sad. And then they see Christ and they're they're shocked. But don't assume that they're men. Um, Don't worry, this is not radical now. Cleopas may have been walking home with his wife. 
It's a lovely scene, actually. Uh, if we take the pass of John 19 to be the same man. But, my friends, I'm not interested in the other, the identity of this other man or woman tonight. I'm interested in the third man. The third man. Listen to these lines from a, it's a very famous poem. Have you heard of The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot? Listen to this. Who is the third who walks always beside you? When I count, there are only you and I together. But when I look ahead up the white road, there is always another one walking beside you. It doesn't rhyme, I'm afraid. <laughs> Gliding wrapped in a brown mantle, hooded. I do not know whether a man or a woman, but who is that on the other side of you? Eliot's poem is very cryptic and complex. And it's not my desire to unpack the poem <laughs> this evening. But there's an allusion here, isn't there, to the Emmaus conversation. The third man drawing near. And at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, the third man factor, have you heard of that? Was being discussed uh, a lot because it was the age of exploration and adventure and yeah, I like mountains, so bear with me now. And the 1914 to 1917 Antarctic expedition, you've heard of that? A man called Sir Ernest Shackleton wrote in his memoirs, during that long and racking march of 36 hours over the unnamed mountains and glaciers of South Georgia, it seemed to me often that we were four, not three. A hallucination? Maybe. Other climbers like Reinhold Messner, Joe Brown, Peter Hillary have all experienced something similar. Don't worry, I'm not preaching tonight on a coping mechanism of these people were going through trauma, no doubt. But it wasn't a coping mechanism that we see in our text. Neither is it a guardian angel who's some, who is this figure that comes alongside them. Neither is he a hallucination or an imaginary friend that they conjure in their minds when things are getting tough. No, look what our text tells us. Verse 15, Jesus himself drew near. Jesus himself. And while they may not have recognised him, the conversation and the questions that took place that night, yes, would help them navigate their trauma, but it would change their lives forever, wouldn't it? They saw him. They saw him. This evening, I want to look at three questions that come up in this account. Verse 17 is the first one, and I'll give you the gist of it. What are you talking about? And why are you sad? The second one, I have, after Cleopas has answered the Lord, Jesus then asked them, secondly, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things? And thirdly, later on, when they say to one another, 
did not our hearts burn within us? Did not our hearts burn within us? That's our map for the journey this evening. Are you ready? It's been a long journey. Verse 14 says they were talking about all the things that had happened. It had been traumatizing, hadn't it? Just think about it for a minute. That Jesus whom they knew that they loved, that they'd been wooed to that man who wasn't weird with children, he was kind to women, he healed the blind, he raised the dead, suddenly was gone. Gone. They were wooed to that man. And they were overwhelmed with his words on the slopes of the great mountain when they heard that sermon, weren't they? Oh, they liked it, and they couldn't believe the things they were hearing, amazing things. And boy, he was only getting going, and then he was gone. He was gone, like we heard over Easter. They'd seen the sky darken. They'd heard him shout, Tetelestai, it is finished, as he was hung there on that cruel cross, that best of men, dying the worst of deaths. The worst of deaths. Think about it. It's traumatizing. And they'd understood so much about him. But they'd understood so little. So little. The fact that Jesus of Nazareth has died was just too much too soon. Too much. They did not have space in their theology or their thinking for a Jesus that would have to suffer and a Jesus that would have to rise again. They're depressed. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 there, Christ comes along them. And we're amazed, aren't we, that they don't recognize him. Have you noticed? Was it, have you thought about that? Why, was it their unbelief which hindered their recognizing him? After all, as we shall soon see, they did not have faith in the resurrection. Or maybe they were too weighed down by grief. Maybe they, their eyes were teary. Verse 16, I think, gives us a clue. Can you turn to it? Look, their eyes were kept from recognizing. There seems to be a divine hindrance placed there. One writer, uh, Reichen, writes, this is good, this is a story of delayed recognition, and for that reason it can help us see Jesus for ourselves. It is not simply the physical sight of Jesus that brings the assurance of salvation, but believing in Jesus by seeing him in the gospel, whether or not we have ever walked with him on the road to Emmaus. It's lovely that, isn't it? Have you, before we get going now, have you seen him yet? I'm looking out over all these eyes here. It's quite daunting. But have you seen him yet? Jesus' question bothers them. Why are you talking? What are you talking about? And why are you sad? That's the gist of the question, isn't it, in verse 17? Clear past is amazed. He he, the original says he basically stands still, uh, doesn't know what to say. The, it tells us that when they heard that question, they, 
they stopped walking and they look really sad, really sad. And verse 19 to 24, just scan it with your eyes. They knew the facts, didn't they? The prophet man, that's the, the literal translation there. The prophet man and his amazing life. He was condemned. He died under the authorities. Their love is evident, isn't it? In verse 21, when they talk about their hope that he would have been the one. He was meant to be the one to deliver them from Rome. They were looking for a redeemer. They were looking for a saviour. But this saviour was an invented one. In their minds, he should have been the one that would draw the sword when he rode in on the donkey. No, no. He had left them as well. And they are miserable, miserable. The text says it again. Finally, they zoom in on the day and win. Covered it this morning. They mentioned the events of this morning. Literally. <laughs> they'd heard this. They'd heard that. But notice the heartbreaking words in verse 24 there. Him they did not see. Him they did not see. You understand why they're so sad, don't you? Because a gospel without the resurrection is no gospel at all. A Christianity without an empty tomb is just another religion about doing your best. What is the gospel? Gospel, as Wynne said this morning, is good news, isn't it? Good news. Gospel is good news. That person, Jesus Christ, who is the living embodiment of that good news. He is its essence. There is no good news today unless Jesus rose from the dead. I wouldn't be up here, like Quinn said this morning, unless Jesus rose from the dead. Let's get back to basics here, people, okay? If Jesus was only a teacher or a prophet man, if he was only a mere example, then we're absolutely done for, aren't we? Is there someone who follows liberal theology here? You're done for because Jesus might live in you, which is pretty good going for a man, uh, but that's it, isn't it? Someone here tells me, ah, Jesus' death was how he defeated his enemies, showing us that sacrificial, self-denying way. Oh, my friends, the gospel is far more than that the crucifixion and the resurrection. Good Friday is a terrible day, isn't it? Without Easter Sunday. Why does the resurrection make me happy? Well, it tells me that my sins are forgiven. Death is finally defeated. A promise of, my, of our future inheritance. If Jesus did not rise from the dead my friends, then our sin is undealt with. Those things you think nobody knows about, undealt with. Our guilt remains upon us. Our God is not satisfied. 
all that is wrong in the world, from the tramp on the front pavement to the sin in your heart, will never be right. And, you see, all an eternity of darkness awaits. Paradise will never be restored. And I am sad. Sad. But having heard the gospel, as one writer says, according to Cleopas, Jesus then rebukes, doesn't he? Look at verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones. It's better translated as clueless. Clueless. So secondly, Jesus then asks that wonderful question. Which you, we're, we're sitting on the edge of our seats. The master is about to preach. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? So begins a sermon they'd never forget. Look at verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's a summary, by the way. Okay? The Bible gives us summaries sometimes. Uh, he would have taken them back to Eden, to that garden, yes, a real place, where my blindness started. He would have taken them to that glade when our first parents fell. He would have taken them to that promise to Eve. Yeah? Do you know it? He would have explained what it meant when it talked about the seed of a woman being bruised by the serpent. But that same seed crushing the serpent's head for the Messiah it would be the way of suffering that leads to glory. That's not very 21st century, is it? Jesus himself, didn't he, had said in John chapter 3, 8 and 12, that when he would be lifted up from the earth, accursed, the prince of this world, is cast out and all men are drawn to him. Do you see him yet? Do you see him? It was all about him in Genesis. And then going through the chronicles of Moses, did he take him to Exodus maybe? And that night, that fateful night when the angel of death came knocking and that blood of the lamb was pasted on the sides and the tops of the door. You see, that lamb was him. Have you seen him? Leviticus speaks about an atonement, that possibility of being at one with that holy God again, meaning that only through the shedding of blood could that atonement be possible. Do you understand that that blood was his? And we go on to numbers, and that snake was lifted up. Don't worry if you don't understand me, because it's only a sign. That snake was lifted up in the desert. They were being bitten by adders, or vipers, I can't remember which one, but I do know that when they looked at that serpent, they were healed. 
so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Have you looked yet? But that's not it, is it? Notice in verse 27, he begins at Moses and all the prophets. The Old Testament isn't some kind of prequel. The Old Testament is always pointing to our Lord, to Isaiah, the suffering servant, to the Psalms and their presentation of the Anointed One as the one full of light and life and the faith of Abraham. We're going back now. You can see I'm an artist. I go all over the place. We're going back to Abraham, who believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. There's the resurrection. The sign of the prophet Jonah. Three miserable days in the belly of the fish, coming forth bleached, and salty from the bowels of death itself. That was talking about something bigger that was going to happen. Something bigger. Christ had to suffer. Christ had to defeat death. Christ had to be resurrected, my friends. There was no other good enough, do you know this one? To pay the price of sin. He only, he only, not Allah, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not many ways to the same God. He only, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, could unlock the gates of heaven to let you in. There is none other name under heaven whereby we must, not you can, you must be saved. Don't, do you see him yet? My friends, the crucified Lord, yes, but the risen Lord. Having had the sermon, having had the walk, it's time for food, isn't it? And their hearts are already burning. Look at the third question. We're going a little bit forward in time now. The question comes much later. Having explained the Scriptures to the Emmaus pair, they realize that the sun has dropped under the horizon. Danger time. Red light. <laughs> this was bandit territory. But the best conversations are those you don't want to end, isn't it? I can see folks in here that I've had those kind of conversations with. I remember being gutted once. I was in Abergavenny uh, with Carwin and some other friends. And yes, I was hoping to climb the Africa of any three peaks. And I had to pull out because of an old rugby injury. And I was a bit depressed, <laughs> grumpy. But another friend to me, don't, don't worry, my friend. My dad is also in town. You can spend five hours with him. And I, you know, you're not in that mood, you know. <laughs> it's not very Christian of me to say. But I just wanted to hide in a bookshop. But I went into the bookshop and there he was, <laughs> this Scottish man who many of you know. He started talking to me and he said, tell you what, Nathan, I can, say, I can see you're sad. I'll take you out for some food. So the day was getting better. Uh, <laughs> and by the end of five hours or so, we'd enjoyed the sweetest fellowship I've known uh, as a young Christian. 
I was refreshed and I felt terrible that I'd try to avoid him, if I'm honest. Yes, we're, <laughs> we're not perfect. <laughs> I didn't want it to end and was disappointed when Carwin and some of the others <laughs> came back because we were having such a lovely time. In our text, we're not sure where Jesus was going. When the Bible says he acted, or I don't know what this translation says, he indicated as if he were going farther, verse 28. This does not mean that he was only pretending. Um, Jesus had other places to go and other people to see. And soon we know he would return to his father. But in the meantime, he was pressing on, wasn't he, with his saving work. He had an appointment, didn't he, in this dining room. And we're told that their hearts were already burning, already burning. They realized that everything they had heard was true. But still, if only they could see Jesus. They'd not seen him yet, see? If only they could see him. And imagine them going in. I'm going to use a bit of imagination again now, if you mind. They hang the keys on the hook. They pick the poster from the mats. One of them quickly finds a candle and brushes the crumbs off the table. They may have washed his feet. Have you thought of that? I wonder if they saw those nail prints in the feet. Oh, it's just a coincidence. The roads are so bad here. Ah, it's my imagination. This can't be. They get a towel and dry the feet. They may have washed their faces. They're tired. And one of them gets the bread and he asks the Rabboni, the master, will you bless the bread for us? You are the guest. And they're reclining. They're not on Ikea stools. They're on the floor. And the third man leans over, breaks the bread, and utters something like this. I'm going to try it, right? Baruch atay Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzai lechem min haretz. Blessed are you, Lord our God. It's the same prayer the Jews say today. King of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. Perhaps it was the nail prints in their hands, in the hands of Jesus, rather. Or the way he broke that bread. Or the very words which he uttered from his mouth. Some see the communion here, but I, I don't think that's here. There's no mention of wine or words being uttered to that uh, purpose. Nevertheless, their experience undoubtedly would have brought that lovely, lovely ordinance to their mind. Verse 31 is that moment. Do you see it? 31. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. Sudden, like the switching on of a switch. Epikinosko is the Greek there. They came to know him. Can you imagine what it would have been like? Well, we can, can't we? He is risen. He is risen indeed. And when they fully see 
who he fully is, he disappears from their sight. The fire of that first Easter is rekindled when we see him in the Bible. The fire of that first Easter is rekindled when we see Jesus as the only way, not the dead Jesus, but the risen Lord as the only way to save us, our salvation. That's what Jesus means. Yeshua, salvation. That supper, that supper, which I don't know, were they there or had they heard about it? That would mean so much to them now. So much to them. But to conclude, a few thoughts here. Where were you? Verse 21. We're going a bit back now. These are just my thoughts. We were hoping that it was he. Let's come now to Heath Evangelical Church. There's a beautiful irony in this passage, isn't there? Uh, He's right there. And some of you have been sitting here for years. You've heard the gospel ringing the alarm in your ears for years. I, tr- I struggle with years and years because I'm Welsh. <laughs> but I'm, this is no joking matter. Some of you may say to me, Nathan, I thought he was God. When I was in that ward, I didn't feel him there. When I was struggling, I didn't feel him there. I was diagnosed with this. I suffered that. He wasn't there. My friends, were you there when they crucified him? Were you there when he took your sins and your sorrows? He made them his very own. You see, he experienced hell in your place. He experienced the absence of God in your place. And you say to him, where is he? He's on the cross for me. Oh, he was on the cross for me. He died for me. He rose again for me. I'll tell you where he is now. He's preparing a place for you. And Jesus himself can still draw near today. Even if I don't feel him there. But secondly, you can be so close, like I hinted at earlier, and be so far, can't we? How many of you have watched your parents leave here with smiles and not understand what on earth is there to smile about? How many of you have heard that you have a soul but you'd rather believe some grumpy atheist in the university. How many times have you brushed your own death to the back of your minds, hoping that it will somehow go away? How many times has Jesus drawn near and you have said, no, thank you. Thank God that he is irresistible. (laughs) Christ will save those who are his. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best news in the world. And yet some of you are as sad and grumpy as anyone out there. Why? Because you have not seen. It's not a joke. This is not a practice of oratory here tonight. You're as blind as a bat if you're not happy tonight. 
you have not seen. Now I'm turning to the Christians in here briefly. Christians, you young people in particular, many of you haven't had the Saul Damascus Road conversion. And I tell you, that's okay. The important thing is I was blind, but now I see, isn't it? Some say, oh, I wish I had experience of Johnny or Sarah on senior camp that year when so-and-so spoke. My friends, many of us came to know him like the Emmaus pair over a meal, day-to-day life. And I pray that our children don't have to get to camp to get saved. I pray that they would know him now, that they don't remember a time when they weren't saved. That's a wonderful thing, you know. A wonderful thing. I always loved him as a child. We do believe in regeneration. I still was blind, but now I see. But we don't all come the same way, like Saul of Tarsus. Thank God for that, otherwise we'd be clones, you know. The fire that first Easter is rekindled when each one of you sees him as your saviour for that first time, and for the second time, and again, and again. So we can say with Vernon Hyams' hymn, I saw a new vision of Jesus again, a view I had not seen here before. We see him, don't we, in the breaking of the bread. We see him. You see, when Shiloh comes, that's the Old Testament name for the one who deserved to be king, Our king, our hearts will burn. We long for burning hearts here tonight, don't we? I can't stoke those hearts up. Some of you are already bored out your wits because the Holy Spirit has to be involved, you see. We long for burning hearts fueled by the oil of the Spirit. For when he descends, we see Jesus, don't we? Our spiritual eyes are clearer and with such love. Look at verse 33, the postscript of this lovely story. Look at verse 33. I I really don't blame them. They get up, they leave the bread. The bread would have gone stale. Hallelujah. They leave the bread and they rush back. They don't care anymore about the danger. They don't care anymore about the dark. They're going to tell people that Jesus Christ is risen. He's going to tell the people, you see, this is all that really matters. I pray that your hearts will burn here tonight so much that you will actually tell that neighbour who you've been avoiding for the last six months because he frowns at you. I'm talking to myself, but I may be talking to you as well. We don't want you to be religious, Heath Church. We don't want you to be a clone We want fire, don't we? Life, joy, hope. Sirs, like those early saints could say to one another, we would see Jesus. Have you seen him yet? Because time is ticking. That hourglass of your own life is slowly running out. Have you seen him? Or are you still blind? Show me Is this your prayer tonight? Show me your face, one transient gleam of loveliness divine, and I shall never think or dream 
of other love save thine, or lesser light will darken quite, or lower glories wane. And I can promise you this, the beautiful of earth will scarce seem beautiful again. Have you been to Jesus for that cleansing power? There is power, there is power and there is life in one look at the crucified one. May I commend to you, my Saviour, know him, for he is good. He is so, so good, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Shall we just close in prayer? Father, we would see Jesus. May we as ministers decrease. We long for people focused, utterly focused on Christ, that we no longer get upset about this and that. Sirs, we would see Jesus. May we as ministers lift him up. And may all who are heavy, laden, and full of burdens come to him, even tonight, for there is life for a look at the crucified one. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll conclude our time together by singing uh, another good hymn. They're all good, aren't they? E Gates, Lift Up, 256, if you're listening at home.
now unto him uh, who is able to keep us from falling from that one look on him. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of you now and forevermore. Amen.